So today, um, we're going to be talking on Jonah. And uh, initially, uh, when, I, when I was working on this, I, had, uh, I was trying to make a really funny like pun title, and I just couldn't come up with one. And I was going to put, like, just keep swimming and have Dory. And I was like, well, it's not just about the fish. And then, then I was thinking about, like, we out here, doe. But then I was like, well, Jonah wasn't really out there until, like, later on. So I just kept it as Jonah. So no, no good bad puns for uh, me today. But um, the main sourcing I'm using for this is the New Interpreter Study, or New Interpreter Study Bible Commentary. Um, it's the NRSV one. I really, really like it. And so if you guys are looking for a good study Bible or something with good commentary, I highly recommend it. Um, but as we're going through these series and we're studying the prophets and stuff like that, we're kind of trying to go through one whole book in a sermon. And Jonah's a little easier because he's not as many chapters. Next week, uh, I'll be doing Isaiah, and that's going to be a very hard one to, like, summarize that into one sermon. Um, but what I thought I'd do is I'd just give us some backgrounds and things just to keep in mind as we're reading Jonah or um, kind of the contextualization that's happening or the hermeneutics so we can know what's the history going on, what's the, the point of this book, why is it being written, what's the author's intent. Uh, and so one of the things we can notice is that uh, the book of Jonah focuses on a prophet's actions rather than the prophecy, thus distinguishing Jonah from other prophets. So it focuses more on what he's doing, not doing the internal struggle that he's having um, between him and God, him just saying that, you know, okay, God's calling me to do this, I don't want to do this, being thrown into the water, going to Nineveh and stuff like that. It's more on what he's doing as opposed to, like, this is a prophetic call to Christ, even though it is, it very much so is. Um, the author was likely inspired by 2 Kings 14.25, section B, um, but the story is not history in the narrow sense. And what I mean by that is um, there's more to this book than just saying that, like, Jonah didn't want to follow God, decides to, you know, go on a boat, gets thrown into the water, fish gets him, he goes to Nineveh, he, you know, speaks to these people. Um, that, that's kind of what it's supposed to, you know, the, the theology behind all that, him following God, the call of God. There's even stuff in here that I noticed going through that I had never noticed before that I'll talk about in a little bit that's all there that we can miss if we try to just make it a history book, if we just try to make it this, you know, Sunday school story. Uh, and there's some cool elements that can be learned by, you know, what does this fish mean? What does the water mean? Um, but if you're so focused on, like, it has to be an actual fish, and it has to be, like, in this order, you could actually miss some of the deepest and richest theology that's in this book. Um, Another thing to notice is that Nineveh repents after only hearing five words from Jonah. That's a pretty, pretty crazy thing. He says five words, and they repent. Um, and this is what, down there lower, I have uh, argued because Jonah is one of the few prophets that has ever listened to. And what I mean by that applies to that is that one of the reasons that scholars have called this book allegory, legend, parable, and satire um, is that they argue that the literal account of this prophet's adventures cannot be sustained. And one of the main reasons is that he's one of the few prophets that's ever listened to. So as you go through your prophets and stuff like that, typically, like, it's just always turmoil, uh, lament, problems happening, them talking, God trying to bring God's people back to him, people rejecting it, um, them getting really upset about it, sometimes, you know, being harmed by, because of it. And so the fact that people actually listen to Jonah is one of the reasons why a lot of scholars would say that maybe it's not a literal account. Maybe it is a parable. However, what I want to throw in there, and I was talking to Ken about this earlier, um, is that don't just jump on a side just because the scholars say this or just because you've always learned this. Like, really question it. Work through it. And I actually hold to the point that I'm, I'm more inclined to take Jonah as being literal for myself personally. And the reason being is um, Christ refers to Jonah by name in Matthew 1240, um, which would add validity to the story of Jonah being an actual account. So I feel like if Christ is going to talk about this, I, I'm pretty sure you'd be like the parable of Jonah, the satire of Jonah, or maybe... Um, 
this is the, the tale or the myth of Jonah, but he refers to Jonah by name. And so for Christ to refer to him by name, I feel like Christ would not lead us astray. And even the writers of the New Testament, I feel like, would write it in a way um, that would try to tell us if it was allegory or legend. Um, but I'm I just trying to provide evidence that there is stuff there that could say that, well, Jonah was an actual account, and not just in the Old Testament, but also found in the New Testament. Um, continue with the background. Uh, the tale of Jonah uses uh, symmetry, balance, wordplay, irony, and surprise. The book, the book purports to teach Jonah and all the readers about the problems of gracious acceptance for one's own people. Deliverance is from the Lord. That's found in Jonah 2.9. Um, and it's also to promote the resenting a similar treatment towards other. And so what I mean by this is that Jonah knows and at times resents that God's gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love and ready to relent from that punishment. And so he uh, recognizes, okay, him being Hebrew, him being a Jew, he's like, okay, yeah, my God's this, my God's merciful, he's slow to anger and stuff like that. But he's like, but these guys, you want me to go talk to, well, why don't you just put your wrath on them? Like, just, just take care of them. Like, I believe in you, they don't, so just, just take care of them. But that got me to think about even today for us, you know, is God's grace, mercy, his refrain, love, and blessing exclusive to the American evangelical Christians in Canton, Ohio? Or is it for all people regardless of their reverence towards him? And so even today we have this happening where we become followers of Christ, we believe in Christ, and we feel that joy, we feel that blessing, we feel that grace, we pray for that mercy, we pray for that healing, even for our ankles and things like that. But are we doing that for the people that may be Muslim? They may be, or even people that say are Luciferian, that actually like praise Satan and stuff like that. Do we still think that God should extend mercy to them? That his grace should still apply to them? Or are we so focused on it only applying to us that we could actually miss it? And something I noticed in this as well is that, and through life and just through growth, and um, not that I've fully adulted, even though I had a conversation that I actually enjoyed about mulch this week, which made me just be like, dang, I, this is, no, this is cool. But one of the things I noticed, you know, just through life is that we tend to hate what we are ourselves, and we tend to project problems that we see in other people. And the reason we see it in those people is because we're actually internally struggling with it as well. And so if you notice in the book of Jonah, what happens is that he's all about calling this wrath on these people and stuff like that. But then when the storm is happening and stuff like that, he ascribes it to being God's wrath and God trying to say, hey, you're doing wrong. But in that passage, as we'll read, where does God ever say I'm doing this because of wrath towards you? Not once do you hear God say anything about, well, this is my wrath because you disobeyed me. The only thing you see God do is I provided a fish. And so God provides his action. The only thing that we hear God saying that he did is that of mercy. But Jonah, if he's expecting that this is how wrathful God is, he also internally thought that he deserved this wrath too. So when you're viewing God a certain way, you tend to view other people and how God should treat them that certain way too. But these are things we can miss out on if we're so concerned on the fact of like, no, Jonah actually did this. He was actually in a, you know, in a fish for three days. We can miss out on some of the depth that's happening here, even the internal struggle that we can actually relate to that doesn't just apply to that audience then. And so the outline of Jonah, because um, we're not going to go through all of it, I'm just going to go through um, chapter 1, verses 4 through 17, um, but just the outline. And I tried to make some subcategories too because arguably it could just, be, it could just stay as those four points. Um, but I was trying to make it a little more, um, communicate it better so you could see kind of like the individual stuff that happens. Um, but in the first part, uh, you'd have Jonah's commission in flight. Uh, so Jonah's commission, but it rebels. There's a storm at a sea. Uh, and then Jonah is singled out. 
The second part, I would say, is Jonah's prayer and rescue. The Lord appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah prays. God returns Jonah to the dry land. Um, these are phenomenal imagery, and so uh, the main point of the sermon is I'm going to tie in how Jonah can apply to culturally us today, how he can apply to Peter. Actually, there's contrast and similarities, uh, and then also how um, Jonah and creation actually really applies. This idea of sea, this idea of dry land and stuff like that. These words in Hebrew culture, and we've talked about it before, um, mean something. It's not just a, they're not just saying it for the sake of saying it. There's, there's a point to this. Even the fish, there's a point to that. And so I'll discuss that later on, but as we read, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, dry land's being mentioned. Water's being mentioned. When did God speak? Did he speak? How is Jonah responding to this? How is God talking about this? Just allow it to kind of speak to you. Don't don't look at it as saying that this is or that this is that, but actually allow yourself to like kind of hear it as a new tale, to hear it as a new story, and just see like, well, what is God really trying to portray through Jonah, regardless if it's a parable or if it's an account? The last part, um, or the third part, would be Jonah travels to Nineveh. Uh, Jonah's proclamation to the Ninevites and the response. Um, Jonah's adventures and conversation with God would be the fourth part. Um, and then I think it's funny that it kind of ends with Jonah complaining. So all this stuff happens, and then this is still his response is that of complaint. Uh, and then the Lord responds. So even with his complaint, God still responds. I'm trying to fix the mic. Okay, I just want to make sure. So we're going we're gonna to read um, uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17, uh, and then we're going to kind of dissect it and go into it. And like I said, my main points are not to necessarily say, like, this is the entire book of Jonah, but see what we can gain from this, see how it ties in the piece see how it ties into creation, uh, and see how it ties into even our lives today. So, and starting uh, in chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had laid down. Um, and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing so sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. Um, Any guys want to go further into theology? Um, Perish and hell and things like that. This is actually a passage that um, could be pertaining to that, the, the word used for perish. So if you want to do a little extra study, because uh, I know a lot of you guys have talked to me about hell and annihilation or universalism and stuff like that. It's, it's an interesting study with that too. Um, but I also want to say before we go into the next part of the verse um, is that the whole, we've seen, we see the story in the New Testament, right? Uh, a storm happening at sea, people are asleep. So this, this happens again. In verse 7, The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast our lots, so that we may know whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? He put, I am Hebrew. Uh, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That right there, very important thing. He goes back to that creation story, made the sea and the dry land. Sea to Hebrew culture is chaos, the unknown, the mystery, fear. He also made dry, dry land. What is dry land? Foundation, stability. And what does God do? He creates from this chaos. So all the chaos that's going on he creates a foundation. He has dominion even over chaos. So even Jonah in this moment, 
that's still in the back of his mind is saying like, hey, I've messed up. Maybe I, I, I should have followed God and stuff like that. Still in this moment, he's still praising him and saying that I understand this chaos is going on, but my God has c- complete control over this chaos. Um, verse 10. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, which I think is neat, that like they're kind of going like, oh man, this God like allows this chaos to happen and he has power over it. And their response is, they're even more afraid. And then said to Jonah, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Again, they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Not that God had told them so. Jonah had told them this. This is Jonah internalizing what God's call is. This is Jonah saying, this is what God wants me to do. And anywhere in that do you see God saying, hey, this is happening because I did this. This is happening because of my wrath. You don't see that. This is Jonah saying, hey, this is what God has called me to do, and this is how I'm internalizing it, and this is how, why these events are happening. Uh, and so I think we do that today as well, that this is a call, and then we try to figure out how God works in it, as opposed to saying, are we actually listening to what God's saying? So, much like Jonah, we still do that today. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do with you, that the sea may quiet down? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not. So even that, how often do we do that? We try to find foundation by our own merit, by our own work. They're trying to go to land. They're trying to get security. They're trying to be safe by their own merit, by their own strength. And, you know, spoiler, it doesn't work. Um, Let's see. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O God, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it, is pleased, uh, as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I put this part on its own, because then it goes, But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And so here's where the God, this is where God responds. This entire section is going on. And what does God do is like, okay, you've been thrown into the chaos. You did not follow me. You tried to sustain yourself. Your own crewmen tried to sustain yourself by finding land. And so you're thrown into the chaos. You're finally following me, and you're in the chaos, and I will provide safety for you. I will provide some place where, and then what happens? He ends up praying in that place. He ends up becoming connected with God in a way that he arguably hasn't been. And the three days and three nights has significance to Hebrew culture, a perfect amount of time. And so he was in the fish, or he was with God for a perfect amount of time. And so this is how God responds. So all the stuff that's going on, all the crazy storms that's going on, the rejection of the call, things like that, God responds with mercy and safety. And this is what he does in our lives. And this is the same thing that doesn't just apply to us, but to the Ninevites towards the people of Canton that aren't Christians, towards the world that's not American. You know, these things still apply today. So as I said earlier, our focus is going to be obviously on Jonah, but how it applies to Peter and creation. And so um, this first part is going to be the contrast between Peter and Jonah. And so there's similarities, but there's how the events happen. There's subtle differences. Um, So Jonah and Nineveh, what I mean by that is Jonah is being called to go to the Gentiles. Peter in Israel, he's called to go for the people of God. 
you know, arguably some of those Jews probably were Gentiles as well. Um, but, like, you have this, both are called to go to certain places, but one is for Gentiles and one is for the people of God. But still, the call is the same. Jonah flees from his call, but Peter obeys. So, both are called. One says, hey, I'm not doing this. The other one goes. Um, they both uh, had stories of sleeping during a storm. Jonah is awoken by the men on the ship, and they ask him to call upon his God to steal the waters. Peter is awoken by a storm and then wakes Christ and asks him to save them from perishing. This perishing appears again. But what I think is interesting is in the story of Peter, he has Christ's response of, ye of little faith. So in both instances, there's this idea of faith. Do you trust me? Do you trust that as this chaos is consuming around you, as this craziness is happening, do you have the faith that I have dominion over this chaos, that I have control over it, and I can set you free from it, and I can provide a foundation for you? But I think it's cool how, you know, in one, Jonah's asleep and he's woken up by the men, right? He's, he's awoken by the Gentiles. He's awoken by people that he's supposed to be helping out. And the other, um, Peter is awoken by the storm where he's with the disciples, and he wakes up Jesus, who's sleeping as well. Uh, and sometimes I wish I could just, like, sleep like Jesus, or I could just, like, sleep through a storm like that. But I just think it's neat how, in this instance, you have Christ responding in a very similar manner as he would have with Jonah, is that you have little faith. I've called you to do this, and do not trust me. Um, Jonah uh, is cast into the waters according to his own word. So him saying, you need to cast me over, because, like, God's upset. This is why this stuff is happening. Um, But Peter goes out into the water seeking the word, seeking Christ, uh, while the others do not. I think this is a really, like, this is one of the things I learned this time that was just, like, one of those, like, mind-blowing things for me, is that Christ being referred to as the Word. So, in one instance, you have this idea of Peter saying, well, this is what I think the Word of God is, right? The other instance, with Peter, um, you have the actual Word of God, Christ himself out in the water, and what does Peter do? He gets up and goes. He, he runs after it. He, well, who knows if he ran, but he, he, <laughs> he went after it. I think that's just really cool, this idea that in that culture and like even the people on the boat with Peter would have been thinking about the story of Jonah. They would have known this. Like they would have known these stories. Uh, Another contrast um, between Peter and Jonah is that God prepares a fish to swallow Jonah for three days. But Peter, on the other hand, is always catching and eating fish and is God who stayed in the heart of the earth for three days and nights for salvation more than just himself, meaning Jonah and Nineveh. And so I think this is really neat is that, uh, and so in one instance, this fish is used to preserve Jonah's life and to save him. And the other instance with Peter, I mean, even as Chris was talking about a couple weeks ago, um, Christ literally has the fish prepared for him on the beach for him to eat. There's, there's the continuations of the story. So there's a lot of similarities, um, but it's still the whole idea of following God, pursuing God. What is he pushing towards? What is he moving us towards? Arguably, Jonah was maybe prophetically speaking, for these accounts to happen. So when these things were happening with Peter, maybe he would have known that, maybe he linked it together. You know, we really can't say that as theologians or scholars or anything like that, because like that's kind of looking into the text for the sake of looking into it. Um, but some, some of those thoughts are kind of cool to just think about, because um, the, the evidence isn't necessarily right there. It doesn't say that, like, Peter's like, and, and I thought of the story of Jonah. It, it doesn't say that. Um, but I think it's just really neat that, like, in both instances, God provides the salvation. You know, so in Peter's life, he provides the salvation, and for all of our lives, through his death and being buried, being in the heart of the earth for three days in the perfect amount of timing for all humanity. And Jonah, he's being called to go and be a prophet and to go and speak to these people to do what? To show them this Yahweh, to show them the Lord of Lords. Um, and yet he's still also preserved by fish. God provides the, preser- or the preservation for him. 
And so the summary between Jonah and Peter, I would say, is that God is the, God of the same God of the Old Testament, New Testament, and today. And although the stories between Peter and Jonah have similarities, they contrast. However, the lesson to be learned in both remain relatively the same. God, in all of his splendor, is for all people. He calls us, he is our refuge during the storm, and he initiates the relationship with us. And I'd also like to add on to that too, is that in both instances as well, both in Peter and in Jonah, they tried to visualize or make God what they wanted him to be. You know, Peter with the soldier's ear saying, okay, let's do this. We're going to battle. Like, this is how my Jesus is. We're going to conquer the world. And Jonah in the same sense is like, well, this, I, these people don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your mercy. This is what I think about this God. And so in both instances, they had a relationship with God, but they still tried to make God what they wanted him to be. And I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago I, when I preached, or maybe it was about a month ago, um, one of the things that God's been really working on my heart is that we tend to make God a perfected version of ourselves, and he's more so than that. Like, he's better than what we could ever make him out to be. So allow God to be who he says he is, not who we try to make him to be. And both Jonah and Peter, 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 Peter Bread, uh, both uh, Peter, Hunger Games, uh, but both uh, uh, Jonah and Peter um, struggle with this too. And I think this is encouraging that these are especially Peter, as you know, our church leader, the, the rock of the Catholic Church, right? Um, these are crazy important people in our, in our stories of Christianity and in the tales of our faith, um, but yet they struggle with the same thing. So if these great heroes that we look up to, these people that are canonized for all of history, these people that our, our doctrine and our faith is based on, struggled with this, chances are we are too, and we're not above that. And so be open to that. Be encouraged by that, that we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have a perfect definition of God, but allow God to say who he is, and he'll provide a foundation through those storms. Um, this part, I just want to focus on the creation account. Um, so in both creation account and with Jonah, you have water. Water to Hebrew culture represent chaos, mystery, fear. Also with the fish being named, chances are they were referring to the, the Leviathan, or unintentionally wore my behemoth shirt, which was the, the land fear. Um, but there's these unknown mysteries, these scary creatures that they would attribute. Um, so even this, that like, so the chaos is going on, the storm is happening, this fish appears. Even the people, and we don't know this from the crew, but they, they could have been like, this is the Leviathan swallowing him. So this God not only has power over the waters, but has power over these creatures that are just huge, that can swallow a man. You know, they... they Arguably, we're probably like, dang, this God truly is. I mean, it talks about how they tried to make sacrifices and vowed themselves to the Lord. Um, so water had a lot of symbolism to Hebrew culture. The dry land. God controls chaos and provide a foundation for us. So how, he, how Jonah responds back when they said, well, who are you? Where are you from? He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I believe in a God that also created the sea and the dry land. Jonah is saying that like this guy, this God, has complete control over chaos and allows happen. We even see this in Job, right? Satan has to literally go to God and ask for permission to move. And so keep that in mind, is that as the chaos is going on in our life, as the struggles are going on in our life, God allows that to happen. He doesn't delight in it, but it's under his authority, and he can pull it out and provide foundation to that. Um, we see both in the creation account and uh, in Jonah that there's God's mercy. Redemption is only found by him, and he'll be the one that provides it. And what I mean by that is so we, all, we know about the fall in the creation account, right? We know about how we sinned, and whether we chose to do evil or not, or we chose to do a lesser good that then became evil, God still provided the mercy. His, his response is that prophetic response is that one day 
I, you know, I will crush the serpent's head. There's hope. He's already providing redemption for all of humanity. And in Jonah, the same thing is happening, is that even though Jonah attributes these things to happening to being God, even though they may not have been God, uh, God still provides mercy and a way out. God's response is that they're of mercy, compassion, grace, and love, not of this anger, um, this wrath towards Jonah. If anything, it may be because he's trying to teach Jonah that lesson, because back to what I said earlier, we tend to hate what we are ourselves. He's trying to teach Jonah that lesson so that Jonah can be like, oh, wait, this is how I'm supposed to treat these people. He's still, maybe that, that clicks there. And so the last point that I want to make, though, and it may be obvious, but spend more time seeking the intent or the point trying to be made by the authors of Scripture and less time arguing over inerrancy, infallibility, uh, Calvinism, free will, whether Genesis is literal or not, and be immersed by the love that can be learned from God through these writers. And what I mean by that is it's not wrong to believe that Genesis is literal or that there's one Isaiah or that Job is a real story or that Jonah wasn't, you know, a myth and actually is history and stuff like that. We can talk about these things and we can get upset about these things, but why are we getting frustrated? Is it because we're seeking to be right because we want this idea of God and Scripture to be the way that we want it to? Or is it because it has a significance that extends love? That's my biggest concern is like, even on our eldership team, we have multiple different beliefs on hell. We have different beliefs on the creation account and things like that. But if Chris's response was different from mine and did not have love in it, then it's not of God, and I really don't care how much you've studied on it. I really don't care what your history background is. And inversely, he'd do the same thing. Like, okay, what you said is really rational. What's the thing you always say that was really... Exactly. So, like, and that, so that same thing can apply. I can get so caught up in that that I can miss out on the point being said. We can get so caught up on, like, arguing there was an actual fish. Was it a whale? That we're, we're focusing on the wrong thing. The fact is, regardless if it was a whale, a fish, or whatever, God provided redemption in the chaos and provided dry land, provided a situation for Jonah to finally be in contact with him. He allowed all this chaos to consume him to finally Jonah was left face-to-face with only God. And this is what happens in our lives too, right? You know, like we always talk about when it rains, it pours, or things come in threes. All this stuff happens to us, and then what happens? We're sat there in a place where it's just us and God. You know, this, we can miss out on that because we're so worried about what had to be well. It has to be literal, you know? And so, and not that that's wrong. Like, I'm not trying to say that's wrong, but be more open to that. What's the story being told? What's the theology behind this? What's, what is God trying to convey through this? And so our takeaways for today um, is that Jonah needed God's grace and mercy uh, just as much as the people in Nineveh did. Um, so even though he was going to be a prophet to this land, he had to learn what God's grace was, what God's mercy was as well. It wasn't just going to these people and proclaiming it. And I think we do that as well um, with um, mission trips. The amount of stories I've heard from people in our church that have gone that think that, like, oh, we're going to help these people, and then the response is unanimous. They ended up helping us. They ended up blessing us. They ended up bettering us. And the reason being is because, like Jonah, we're so concerned um, with others um, that we may have actually overlooked what God is actually doing in us. And so do we view ourselves and others in the same way that Jonah did? Do we view others as equal, divinely created by God, loved by God, deserved his mercy just as much as what we do? Or do we say that, like, well, I'm the Christian, I'm on the good side, you know, like, I get to go to heaven, you're the bad people. You know, like, that mercy transcends, and we need it daily. Even as followers of Christ, we need that daily. The next takeaway I'd like to make is that um, God is the same and always will be. The God of Jonah, Peter, uh, and for us today still calls us to follow him into the chaos and has provided scripture and his spirit to remind us of his faithfulness. 
Moreover, he did this himself for his own glory and for our salvation. And so what I mean by this is that, you know, God, we live in a, in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, not just with, um, I don't know, uh, not just with uh, uh, demons and things like that and fallen angels and all this other stuff that we try, to, we try to fault our problems on, right? We try to say that things are going wrong because the devil is t- tempting me or the demons are tempting me. And not that the, those things don't happen, but oftentimes it's our own nature. It's us. We are at fault. We are the ones that are allowing these things to happen. We are the ones that are pushing these things to happen. We're blaming God. We're blaming the situations around us. But what if it's an opportunity for us to get closer to God? What if God is allowing this chaos to ensue our lives so that we can have a moment with him, a perfect amount of timing, where it's just us and him, where we can learn what it is that he's calling us to do? So my last takeaway is that um, allow us to not limit God and his word scripture to a history, psychology, science, philosophy, theology text, etc. It can be those things at times, but it's never limited to those things. It transcend them, transcends them, and we may miss out on those transcendent moments by binding them to our liking. And so oftentimes, as I've said many times throughout this sermon, we will take passages like Jonah or books of Jonah or Revelation or rapture theology or just history in general or psychology in general or dating or relationships, and we'll say, like, go to the Bible for this, grab the Bible for this. And not that it's wrong to use Scripture for that, but it's more than just a history text. It's more than a theology text. It's more than all those things. It's something truly inspired by the Spirit of God. And something to keep in mind is that, so Peter, you know, in Acts the Holy Spirit through Pentecost and stuff like that, but he didn't have the New Testament. Uh, Jonah had the stories of, you know, probably some Torah um, of Jewish law. He didn't have the rest of the Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have these stories, and we have the Holy Spirit, all empowering us. Are we going to limit that by saying, well, the Bible is just a history book. The Bible is just a theology book. Or are we going to allow the same spirit that spoken to these writers, that God moved through these writers, to empower us as well? Let us not be you know, caught up in the chaos that we make ourselves, but truly be looking for the instances where God says, this is where I want you to go. Follow me. Go with this call. And when that chaos ensues, I'll provide a foundation for you, and we'll have that one-on-one time where you can get to know me. So that's what I hope we can go through this week and that we can learn from Jonah is that we can make it less about a fish. We can make it less about this story, more about the, the importance of following Christ in this call, the, the more about the idea that oftentimes when we see God is calling us to work in other people, it's because he's working that in ourselves already. Um, allow ourselves to be in these fields of chaos, of uncertainty, and to trust in God that he'll provide that foundation. Um, are you going to do communion, Chris? Oh, Sean's already got it. Cool. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to enter, a time, enter, uh, enter into a time of communion, if I can talk. <laughs> so. All right. Heavenly Father, I just thank you um, just for your mercy daily. I thank you for this church and this congregation, Lord. I thank, you, um, I thank you just for the smallness of our church, Lord. I just love it. I love that there's community and family. I love that I can know everybody by their name, that they can text me, they can call me, they know my son, Lord. I thank you just for the family that you've provided here, Lord. Lord, I pray that as you call us to um, pursue different outreach ideas, Lord, or mission ideas, Lord, that we'd be focused on you and that calling would completely derive from you and that we would lead people to you. As we learned in Acts earlier, Lord, that we wouldn't just say, you know, here's some money or here's some tools, Lord, but truly give them you. So that when we leave or if we even aren't ever going to be there, Lord, that they have you that transcends anything that we can do. Lord, I pray that 
um, as the waters of our lives, Lord, as the, the chaos can sometimes just feel like it's consuming us, Lord, that we'd have trust in you and that we would praise you, Lord, through those times and know that throughout all of history and throughout all the Old Testament and New Testament, you're always trying to bring your people back to you, Lord. And Lord, sometimes it's these storms that, you know, rock our, our, our little boats of life, Lord. And it's through those storms that we end up in a location we never would have been at before, Lord. So may we have trust in you, independence in you only, Lord. Uh, may we fear you and not the waves of our lives, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. I wonder if the battery's dying. I can't imagine the battery dying. It's plugged in and out, though. It should be flawed. Yeah, that's true.